something about you. Lucky I found you. Nothing without you, but now I'm stuck here without you. Couple thousand something miles, so I'm working just to pay for tickets. Distance never changed, commitment still I miss you till you visit. Itching for that sweet prescription, doctor, doctor, please refill it. I swear, girl, I feel so addicted. Yeah, girl, I feel so addicted. I hate being sober when it's over. I feel so conflicted. Hit you on the phone, but I forgot about. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Block Channel. Um, we're here for a really exciting episode uh, for episode four. Um, we're here today with um, Joey from Augur, and I'm also joined today by my two co-hosts, uh, Corey Petty from the Bitcoin Podcast, who's with us today, as well as Dimitri, D, uh, who's who's co-host with all the other episodes, um, and of course myself, Stephen Mackey, um, and Petty. Corey, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey guys, what's up? This is Corey from the Bitcoin Podcast. Happy to be here. Talk about Augur, what they're doing. Me next? Is it my turn? Mm-hmm, it's your turn. Hey guys, the host number two of the Bitcoin Podcast and number two of the Block Channel. Back and, at of course, you. and of course, you know, joining with us is Joey. Um, Joey, do you want to just uh, give us a quick backgrounder on you? You can keep it as simple and sweet as you would like it. Sure. Yeah, so I'm, jo- I'm Joey Krug um, and I work on Augur. Uh, Augur is a platform for prediction markets on Ethereum. So the idea is you can go to it and kind of create a new financial market on whatever you want. And I write the Ethereum contracts for it. So the contracts that deal with, you know, the money and the shares and processing trades and all that stuff. That's what I work on, the smart contracts. Awesome, awesome. So as far as Augur goes and Ethereum goes, um, like are those are those like your only like two core focuses right now? Is there anything else like outside of Augur beyond that? Like are you involved with any other projects currently? Um, I advise a few other projects. Um, so I'm advising uh, basically three other projects. One is called Numerai, which mm-hmm. is a basically a it's a crowdsourced hedge fund. Um, so it uses artificial intelligence to basically um, make predictions of what equities to trade. Um, another company is called Urbit, which is basically kind of trying to redesign uh, the internet or system software from the ground up in a much simpler way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also advise First Blood, which is like a, a, another project on Ethereum, which is working on like esports stuff. Um, so like think like Dota or, or Counter Strike. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. So isn't that like the the platform where it's just like like you're like I guess like compete in like gaming and they have like a unique token or something like that? And like is it do you do you earn do you earn like is is the hope to like earn money from playing games or? Well, the idea is the idea is more of like <clears throat> so if you, if you think of something like Augur, you're betting on or you're, you're trading on you know events that you usually don't have direct control over most of the time. Um, but where it's with something like First Blood, you can't you know bet on other people's matches. So like say I was playing a Dota match against you, um, and we were using First Blood, we could both bet on it because we're playing in the match, but like no one else could. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the idea. So it's like it's like purely skill based uh, esports betting kind of is the idea. So. So for the, would you say that a reason that you would get yourself involved with something like that, not to like go too far off from like, you know, with, from Augur, uh, which isn't going to be our focus here, but would you say that it, you got involved with First Blood because you could see sort of like some synergy between the two of you guys? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, we're kind of working on similar-ish things. Um, the main difference is, you know, that um, people on First Blood, you can't bet on someone else's match. And since it's purely just video games um and it's relatively low stakes you know you don't necessarily need um 
something as, as secure as, you know, Augur's reporting system to resolve these events because it's just like, it's like you and me putting like $50 on a Dota match um, is very different than, you know, putting $50 million on a presidential election. So mm -hmm. it's it's something that I, I help them out with like the technical side of things and helping make design decisions, things like that. So, so would you say that, uh, would you say that, I guess like First Blood and Augur together, which which of the two do you think would be more of a core use for like prediction markets? Do you see like would you want to see like Augur be doing that first, or is it like or First Blood? Um, so I mean, First Blood isn't really a prediction market. Uh, it's, it's basically just a um, one to one betting platform. So it matches people to bet. On okay. 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 So there's okay. So there's so there so there is no there is no like betting on like the overall outcome of the game or anything like that. Not right, from an outside you can only person. Bet, yeah, you can only bet on a game that you're playing in. Got it. Um, got it. Okay. So it's like got playing it. a you know say we are both really good at Halo or playing a one to one Halo match and we want to bet a hundred bucks on it. Um, you can do the payout on on something like First Blood. Um, uh, okay. But whereas you know, with Augur, the idea is you want to create a new financial market on X, and X is either very expensive to trade on today, or you can't trade on X, or X doesn't exist at all. Um, and that's what you would use Augur for to create a new market on something that, that there isn't really one. Mm, that sounds interesting. So you can literally say, hey, I'm going to put money on this fight. I'm going to use Ryu and you use Ken. And I'm going to beat you down and I get your money. I like it. So I guess, I guess for Augur, um, I guess, and, and, you know, not to harp too much on what you're doing with the first blood thing, um, but I'm really kind of curious about that as kind of like a gamer myself personally too. Um, but I guess as far as Augur goes, uh, what do you think will be like the first key use case for a prediction market on Augur? Like, what what do you see as like the first thing people are going to be like, oh, like I want to come to Augur, you know, and now it's live, and I want to, you know, like open up these like particular markets. Like, where do you think you'll find like your first users? Um, so I think there's three, and I'm like ninety percent certain the most popular thing in the first year will be one of these three, um, and I'm not sure which it will be. Um, since we're not launching in 2016 and it's going to be 2017 when we launch, um, the, the third one, it, it, elections, it probably won't be elections because U.S. elections are the most popular thing. People like to speculate on uh, for elections more than any other country. So that's one thing that will be very popular in Augur. But next year, I don't think it will be because there aren't as many interesting, I guess you could say, um, elections to bet on as, as the U.S. ones, at least historically. Um, so that, that leads us with two main categories of things that people will probably speculate on Augur in the first year, um, which is um, things like sports matches. So, you know, who will win this sports game, um, things like that. And the reason for that is they're very expensive to trade on currently. And there's lots of places you can't trade on them or, or it's super expensive. Like in China, you're paying 20% in fees to bet on a civil soccer match, um, which is kind of ludicrous if you think about it. Um, and then the other category, which is the one I think will probably be biggest long-term, maybe not in the first year, but definitely in the next five years, I think, um, that's financials. So if I'm a Chinese national, I want to speculate on Apple. Um, for the most part, I can't. If I'm a large institution, I can. Um, or if I'm very well connected, I can. But if I'm like a middle-class citizen who wants to put $1,000 into Apple in China today, uh, you can't really do that. Um, <clears throat> and there's similar sorts of inefficiencies all over the world for various financial markets. Um, as an American, I can invest in European markets, but it's pretty complicated. Um, 
and you know most Americans don't know how to do it. Um, and so the, these similar inefficiencies exist all over the place. And so the idea is that if you go to Augur and, and get the same profit and loss as buying into one of these stocks, um, except it's really it's way cheaper, and since it's a decentralized system, um, mm. there, there's not you know some restriction on on you participating. So Augur doesn't know that you're a Chinese citizen, um, so it doesn't it, you know it doesn't care. It's just it's just code. Um, so that's kind of cool, and I think probably one of the yeah. most exciting applications. So, so I guess sort of like what you're describing is like, you know, you can have like a traditional stock market and then you can have like another platform like Augur that sort of like exists on like another substrate where it's not it's not actual stocks, but you are just like basically like betting on Apple today or instead of yada yada. And you can still have a chance to like make a return or put money on that accordingly, but you don't ever actually st- touch the financial instrument itself. Yeah, that's right. Um, and actually, in, in even even in existing financial markets, there's stuff that's kind of similar to this. Like if you look at options markets, um, a lot of the time people, yeah, they technically do touch the instruments themselves at one at some point. Um, but a lot of the time, then if you just immediately close it out, so you can you can think of you can think of a prediction market platform as kind of being similar to options markets in a few ways. Because if you think of options markets, they're like, you know, what will the price of this company be two weeks from now, four weeks from now, six weeks from now? Uh, two months from now, two years from now, and so on. They have different expiration dates. And so prediction markets are similar. They have expiration dates on them. So you could have a market on Apple. It's like, what will the price of Apple be in a year? You could also have another one that says, what will the price of Apple be in three years? Um, and the profit and loss on that is actually basically the same as any existing options market. Um, of course, it's different than if you just bought Apple, because if you bought straight up Apple, you'd get dividends, mm-hmm. um, which is is the main difference between, you know, participating in a regular stock exchange and, and using something like Augur. I mean, I, I'm almost kind of curious if you could use something like Augur and then find and figure out a way to also offer out like dividends for individuals that are like constantly making like, you know, good predictions on like a certain stock. I bet there is a creative manner in which an individual or, you know, a business could make a pretty good amount of money on that. Um, I, I wonder, I wonder how that would work. Cause you know, you have, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but you know, like you've got like all these companies like Polychain and things of that nature. And, um, and tell us, uh, like Charlie Shrim is working on where they're like looking to like invest into tokens and other sorts of things like that. So I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of potential for individuals to like get into prediction markets. Cause I think there's a lot of avenues here that haven't quite like been explored. And then like, like when you like talk about them out loud, like, you know, when you talk about like, hey, like you can kind of trade on against the stock market, but with the prediction market. Right. Like that's like that's that's plain obvious now that you've told me that. But that's nothing that, that's something I never even thought about, like for just for like for a second, like is that being an option? So I, I, I wonder, like where it would evolve from here, like once developers get their hands on something like this. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean. Something like that, something like Augur or you know, fiction market is it's a very general tool. Um, so the thing about building tools, which is kind of neat, is most of the time the people who built the tool barely even scratch the surface of what you can actually do with it. Um, so the stuff we're discussing now, you know, it sounds cool, um, but it's probably there's probably stuff that's ten times cooler that we haven't even thought of, you know, that will end up happening on it eventually. I think. So while we can stay along that same vein of developer interest, like what? Uh, are there any developers that are showing interest? Like, who's going to be the first to build something awesome with Augur, and we get some exclusive, some exclusive stuff? Um, so there's, so there's a few people working on like building things on top of it. Um, none of them have like 
officially announced anything yet. Um, uh, it's all it's all pretty early. Um, mm. But what some of the stuff is kind of like, you can kind of think of it as like, okay, so you have this platform that's pretty generic, um, and people are looking to make kind of like focused things on top of it. Um, so like, you know, it may make sense to trade differently on a UI that's for sports than on a UI that's for uh, financials because historically you just trade differently. So if you want to get, if you want to maximize the number of users on the platform, it makes sense to have different UIs for those. So, pe- so people may build like focused UIs for certain things. Yeah, that's the um, way I kind of I kind of saw where a lot of this is going. Where Augur provides a ton of data relevant to people making bets on various things and and also like future outcomes of possible news events and people can then essentially accumulate that data and and let it add on to whatever application they build it allows other people to kind of amplify the things that they build based on what people think outcomes of that are relevant to what they're building towards like say for instance you have so you have a it was the election going on and Augur was working and you had a full force of people betting on the election outcome. You could then pull in live um, statistics based on, you know, real, real polls backed by money as opposed to pull, polls backed by nothing from Augur to show on your site as opposed to who, who, you know, what the current consensus is on who people, what people think are going to win. Yeah. That's where it gets like super futuristic and, and super cool because it's something that seems like it's way off. Um, but you know, seeing that in practice is, is, isn't really that far off, you know, it's, it's, you know, less than a year away. Um, cause like, you know, eventually what we want to do is with the UI, we want to have it. So, um, Google has this stuff called like semantic web and it's where you can basically make, you can make a site. So, um, when Google search crawls it, um, you know how, like when you ask like, uh, hello Google or whatever it's called or like Google Allo, their chat thing, you ask it a question and, and the AI gives you a response. And sometimes it has like little cards that give you information that they kind of generate from search. Or if you search something on Google, um, you know, it always comes up with like with a restaurant, it'll give you like little information. You can sometimes view the menu, things like that. Um, what's really interesting is you can do this for any site and Google has like a basically a framework for doing this. Mm-hmm. So anyway, long story short, what would be super cool is if we could get it so when people are Googling like things about certain events, whether it's a political event, or you know something else. Um, if they have the right keywords, maybe an Augur market result would show up, and it'd say, "Well, Augur has, says uh, there's a 53% chance of this happening." Um, it's kind of the long-term, like, kind of futuristic. What can this actually do for people? People will. Mm-hmm. So I see. I see. Like you know, Augur works off the law of large numbers, right? You gotta you gotta have a lot of people using this platform to create these real good statistics, or like it's decent statistics, and that is kind of based on people using your platform, which is based on, is it based on people using Ethereum? Like how do you see the growth of Ethereum factoring into the growth of Augur, which gives you those numbers that you need to have good statistics? So I think, I think, you know, growth of Ethereum is helpful for us. Um, you know, it would be, it'd be silly to say otherwise. Right. Yeah. Um, but I also think at the same time that, there doesn't necessarily need to be a whole lot of growth with Ethereum for Augur to successfully grow. And so what I mean by that is, um, you know, I'm sure the first version of the UI we launched, it probably won't be that great because nothing is perfect when you first launch it. Um, But the idea is, you know, long-term, we want it so that your mom could go to Augur and put in her debit card or something and get cryptocurrency without, you know, even really needing to know that she's using Ethereum without needing to know what Ether is, 
She just knows she has a balance of something. Um, and for this to work out in practice, you really kind of need stable coins. So you don't want your mom to go on the site and have $500 one day and then 400 the next day and 600 the next day. That's very confusing. Um, but in a year or two, once they're stable coins, that's the idea. You would go on and you don't really even need to know about Ethereum unless you want to. Um, so once it reaches that point, then I think um, needing people to you know, know a lot about crypto or things like that for the platform to grow isn't, isn't as necessary. Um, I think that's, I think that's kind of how you, you, you want to view platforms anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the internet would have never taken off if we required uh, all the people who use it to understand how HTTP works. So, you know, same thing for email and SMTP. Um, it just doesn't make sense to require them to understand um, a whole lot about the underlying protocols. So, so would you say, so would you say that uh, Augur Augur isn't under any obligation at all to like educate its future users on, I guess, the Ethereum platform? Do you think it's just like a, you would hope that they would just kind of sort of be agnostic to it and just, you know, be, you know, more worried about like rep and like the actual platform itself? Like, do you think you, you think it owe it to them to sort of like make, like make sure that like the, the platform that you guys have built that is built on top of Ethereum gets some, you know, attention there? Yeah. So I think, I think basically what, what we owe the, to them is to educate them enough so they're able to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And then, basically open the door to kind of allow them to learn more if they want to. Because um, that, that's kind of what what you can view. You could kind of view, so like there's all these platforms that are going to be built on Ethereum. Augur is one of them. Um, mm-hmm. You can view them as like gateways to Ethereum, I guess you could say. As in mm-hmm. like, peop, it's possible that people are going to be introduced to Ethereum because they heard about Augur. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same thing for other things built on top of Ethereum. Um, and so you want them to have some understanding of it. Especially in the early days, like when before there's stable coins, you want, they need to know at least what ether is um, mm-hmm. to use Augur. They're going to need to know the concept of like blocks. Um, you know that like transactions only happen every so often, um, and these things are they they seem kind of complicated if you try to explain them to someone, and they're not like using a specific application. But if they're using a specific application, it's much easier to explain them. I think because um, you think of traditional equities trading, there are things like blocks and equities trading. Um, there's uh, there's certain batch options which kind of have blocks where they process the trades like that. Most people aren't familiar with that, but most people are familiar with the concept of your trade takes three days to settle. Um, so if you've ever tried to sell a stock and then withdraw your money and it hasn't been three days, your broker won't let you. So there are, there are like corollaries that you can kind of use to explain this stuff um, in ways that people understand. And the nice thing is that even though block times are 15 seconds, which seems kind of slow when you're using the UI, it's a heck of a lot faster than waiting three days um, for, for your for your trade to settle. Um, and so it's so like you, you can kind of do creative stuff to let people know. Like, like I think it'd be cool if in our UI, um, when it told you, so like say your, your transaction took 30 seconds to settle, it'd say, well, it you know, normally takes um, 72 hours for your trade to settle. So your trade settled this many thousand times faster than it would have on Wall Street. Um, mm-hmm. and so, stuff like that is kind of yeah. cool and kind of ways yeah. to introduce people to the virtues of this tech without being like, you know, um, super like technical and, and overwhelming. Or shoving ideology up people's face in people's face. It's kind of one of those right. yeah, off, want, offhanded yeah, things that point. you can kind of see that you're, but you're not really, really forcing down, like, guess what we can do type situation where <laughs> you see a lot of people trying to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely do see this as a great way to sort of 
you know, like woo in other like traditional like Wall Street traders and things of that nature, where it's like, hey, or, you know, you could, you know, you can go the traditional way and, you know, go through the normal day, you know, process and wait three days and do all this sort of stuff. Or if you just want to play, you know, get your feet wet and go, you know, go dabble in, in something new, like, you know, go go try your luck and your skill, like on a prediction market on something like Augur and like see if that's something better for you. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you this, you know, you know, a couple of those people, they move away from their Bloomberg, you know, terminals and like they go home and they can sit on their nice little MacBook and sip on some coffee and play on a prediction market on Augur. That's way better, in my opinion. Yeah, I think what we'll see is, you know, I don't, I don't think like since this stuff is so new, so new I don't there's, think there's going to be like institutional traders trading on it anytime soon. But I think you're right. You will see a lot of people who their day job, yeah, they're trading at, you know, Goldman or wherever. And they come home, they realize they can make a lot of money on something like Augur where there's no settlement time. So they can trade instantly in and out of assets. Well, you know, 15 seconds, whatever. Um, and then they can trade on a lot more stuff than they can trade on at the NYSE or the or even the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. There's just so many more options that will be available on Augur. And if it doesn't exist, you can make it. Um, so I think that's something that will really appeal to people. I had a question. So how, go, go ahead, D. Go, go ahead, D. I was just going to say, you know, how far is Augur from being the full release? I know last time, I think I, I heard you guys were still in beta. Um, but what's a, give us a countdown. Can we have a countdown? So right now, it's basically there aren't really any features being added um, or at least the feature set is finalized. Um, so there's like the, there's like a channel in our Slack that's called like the architecture channel. And there hasn't really been much discussion in that in, in quite some time, uh, which is good because there's not, that means there's not lots of like drastic changes happening now. Um, basically what's left is there's like a few weeks of stuff left on the contract side, allowing for easily updating the contracts. Um, Basically, the idea is, okay, well, you, we're writing this code. It's very likely that there's going to be a vulnerability or a bug in it. Um, so it, rather than you know trying to write something that's perfect because that's impossible and no one can do it, um, we should make it so it's easy to update it um, when there's an issue found. Um, <clears throat> and so we're kind of working on basically making it so there's like a few ways, a few ways to update things. Um, and then on the UI side of things, what we're doing is we're working on basically improving the UI and UX. Um, so like if, if you think back way back to the, um, first alpha we launched in, in 2014, the UI is a few hundred times faster than that, um, right now. Um, and then we, when we first launched the beta, it used this thing called a market scoring rule, which is where you trade through an equation and we switched to a regular order book. And then, so we're working on basically improving the trading UX, um, and then making things easier to use. Uh, and then we're also focused on making sure that reporting UX works fine. Um, and so what's next though, is basically once we get those updates done to the back end, which will be sometime later in January, um, then we would have the back end audited. Then we would start bug bounties for the back end, um, and start bug bounties for a small part of the front end, which deals with like, um, managing the private keys. Cause that's the part that, that would have, could have security vulnerabilities on that side of things. Um, and then the idea is that you know sometime this summer we would launch it. And initially, when we first launch it, there'd just be one market, and it would basically like be like a bug vulnerability market. So the market would be like, uh, will the money in this market be stolen? <laughs> and um, we would we would provide it with you know, a nice big chunk of seed capital on the on the no side. And the idea is that you know hopefully someone will. Um, 
find a vulnerability and the idea is that they would you know steal the money um that's a no really interesting money, way to i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but I oh, just, I just, I just, I, yeah i was just like the it's really it's an inter- really interesting way to sort of like eat your own dog food at the same time and sort of use that as a way to like improve product at the same time. I think I just think I think that's a really sort of interesting idea where it's like, OK, like, you know, if you feel as if there's a vulnerability, like here's a game like it's at stake. Like, let's test our markets and let's te- test your hacking skills, too. I think I, know, I just think that's brilliant. I just wanted to make that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks. So it's, not, it's actually not my idea. Some 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 professor or something or some academic from, from Europe emailed me about it. Um, I was like, well, this is a really good idea. Like it was like probably the best, you know, two line idea I've been emailed in a long time. <laughs> and I was like, we should definitely do that. I thought about it. I was like, you know, it's like, we should definitely do this. Um, the other nice thing about it is it sets expectations, right? So you don't want to launch something and be like, you know, this is super secure. Um, it's ready to handle billions of dollars in volume up front, throw everything at it. Cause that would just kind of be stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, for one, it's super arrogant to think that you can write code that, that that's that secure. You know, not even not even NASA could do that. They have vulnerabilities <clears> in their code. The doubt. And and so um, basically, the idea is kind of set expectations to be like, hey, um, this is new software. It's likely buggy. Um, it doesn't mean that you know we're bad at writing software. Um, same thing for the DAO guys. It doesn't mean they're bad at writing software. It just means that. Most software has bugs because yeah. people make mistakes and they're not perfect, sure. um, which is nothing to be ashamed of. And so the idea is be upfront about that and slowly get rid of them, you know, over time and, and slowly increase increase the amount of volume that's going through things. Well, I think um, what the of, most one of the most important things you well, mentioned in that whole process was the fact that you've written in ways to change your smart contracts and update them so that when you find the bugs, you're not stuck with the bugs. And that's a that's a really big thing, and able to kind of systematically increase the security of, of your application is if, if you're if you're is that your smart contracts can be updated because that's kind of the one thing that you want to like be immutable within versioning but also be able to change if you find a problem yeah and so the, so the way we're kind of thinking about about doing that is so in the early days we think that it's it's more probable that there'll be a vulnerability uh in the code or a bug than it is that say I would push a malicious change to the software because mm-hmm. um, you know I have financial incentive not to it doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, and so initially you know we could just have a few keys that maybe sign an update so we can push them quickly so if there's a bug we can fix it quick um, and then as time goes on that dynamic slowly starts to change as the system becomes more popular and has more volume um, so then the next kind of level we, th- we thought of is okay well then we'll have it so we can still push an update, but reporters can veto it within, you know, like 24 hours. So if they veto it, it doesn't go through. Um, and then the idea is that eventually um, it would just switch to only reporters voting on updates. Um, and there's no, no, you know, group of developers with a key that can push them. Um, and then to prevent to prevent us from just being like, well, we think we should always have the key. There's also the ability for the reporters to basically, so there's two ways to kind of from, go towards the more decentralized updating process. One is for us to just say we think it's ready and, and it's there. The other is for the reporters to basically tell us, say we, we never did that, the reporters could tell us to screw off and that they think it's ready and, and, and kind of launch it that way. Um, so the idea is to have an update process that's very practical and then eventually reaches a fully decentralized one uh, once it's you know solid. That's smart. Now, now I, 
think that you know I think that you know prediction markets and Augur um, and you know other platforms like First Blood. I, I think those are great for I think those are great for Ethereum because I think it sort of it dives into like some great things as far as like currently like what's hot prediction markets. There's a lot of sort of there's a lot of room um, there for as far as like creativity goes for developers. So they can do they can build a lot of interesting things there. First Blood's cool because gaming's always going to be cool. Um, so another thing I want to ask, uh, in relation to Ethereum is like outside of these projects, what, what projects in the Ethereum space are you closely following? Like, for instance, like, you know, we have like, there's, there's the other competing prediction market, like with Gnosis, and then you've got like, you know, all, all Golem and, you know, all these other really like great projects. Do you, do you follow any of these? Yeah. So, so Golem's interesting. Um, the main question I have about Golem, and this isn't me like being confrontational, I actually just don't know the answer. Um, <laughs> and I haven't been able to find it. I haven't been able to find it. Um, as, I've, as I've wondered, you know, will it be eventually be able to be cheaper than, than AWS per computation? And if it is, then I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, so the question is really, um, does the decentralized nature of it um, and the fact that we're using people's computers at home and does it, does like basically does Amazon charge so much that we can do it cheaper by that? Or does Amazon have some effect from scale that we can't compete with? I don't, I don't know the answer. So that's something I'd, I'd be interested in knowing. Um, and then another cool project that I like, I like a lot is this one called Cypher Poker, uh, which is a, basically a decentralized poker project on Ethereum. Mm. Um, and what's, what's cool about it is it's, it's just built by just one guy um, who was in Canada. And he just kind of started working on this mental poker problem. And <laughs> what he found out was kind of funny, which is... Um, so there's this paper written by RSA, the same, the same mathematicians and computer scientists who wrote the actual RSA cryptography algorithm. Mm-hmm. And they wrote this paper on how to solve mental poker, which is the problem of how do you play poker in a, in a decentralized way without, you know, getting information about your other players' hands, but without knowing, without knowing their cards. Basically, you want to ensure that people aren't cheating, mm-hmm. um, but you also don't want to have to reveal information about your cards to know that. Otherwise, it defeats the purpose. So that's yeah. a hard problem. So mm-hmm. these guys, anyway, long story short, these guys solved it. Um, but the problem was it was very slow computationally. Um, and so most of academia just kind of, and people, the common phrase was, well, it's just too slow. We can't really do it on something like Bitcoin or Ethereum because it's just too slow. Um, but the thing was the paper was written to, in the seventies. So nobody had really tried re-implementing it on like modern hardware. <laughs> so, so like one of the last few times that this was run in the seventies and nobody really paid attention to it until this guy's just like, well, you know, Moore's law has advanced quite a bit. Um, so people have been trying to come up with new solutions to it that are more efficient. But he thought, well, why don't I just try doing, you know, the original algorithm on new hardware and see what happens? And it ended up being the case that you, it basically works. Um, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious because the answer is there in front of us the whole time. Um, our hardware is fast enough nowadays where he, he just implemented that and, and, and it works. And so now he's working on making it so you can place bets on poker with Ethereum, which is super cool because it has a lot of the same effects of prediction markets where you have like this network effect of liquidity, whereas today all the poker sites are kind of the liquidity is kind of segregated across them. There's the issue where they charge a lot of fees and they could run away with your money. It has all these similar properties. And so I like the idea of decentralizing poker, even though I don't, don't really play much poker myself. It's a, it's a cool project. So would you say, so is, is, are they going to have like a crowd sale or something like that? Or is he just like, just like working on just like just software for open source? I think it's just software. Um, okay. I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't looked at it in a couple of weeks, but it's called Cypher Poker, C-Y-P-H-E-R Poker. Uh, if you want to check it out, it's something that there's not a lot of eyes on, but um, more people should pay attention to it because it's super cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'll definitely like put it into the show notes too, so people can check it out, and I'll check it out too. I like to. 
I like I like I like it when people dig up old scientific papers and they're like, oh, let's repurpose them, because um, that happens that happens a lot in like the cryptography space. So I think I, th- I think that's really awesome that that happened and that it's like hopefully somewhere down the line it will make someone money. Um, but yeah, that's great. Uh, so I guess as far as Augur, so you saying like you guys are probably hoping to have you know a launch like sometime like around like the summer time frame. That's just like sort of like the soft window you guys are setting right now. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so so uh, you know, I guess between like now and then, like for Augur, do you have like do you have any sort of like predictions for like what will happen, uh, you know, like in it, like in the Ethereum, I guess ecosystem between now and then, like do you do you foresee us having any you know any issues before we like move forward, like with Metropolis? Do you like you know what sort of what sort of your uh, view on the current condition? Um. And we'll close out with that, just sort of okay. like as, as like, you know, like, you know, what do you see going on for Ethereum for the next few months? Yeah, so I think, you know, I don't, I don't foresee any like major problems. Of course, I didn't foresee the last few forks either. So, um, <laughs> so, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do like that Ethereum is, 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 it kind of has a propensity to fork. And uh, to some people that is heresy and to some people that's uh, a breath of fresh air. And to me, it's kind of a breath of fresh air. I like the idea of uh, iterating quickly. Eventually, Ethereum will reach a point where it has enough stuff built on it that it can't, you know, do these rapid forks like this, and it needs to be more stable, like Bitcoin. Um, but we haven't gotten there yet, so I think we should take advantage of the time we have now, which is in, in its nascency, to basically iterate quickly. So I, I like that the Ethereum team's doing that. Um, I think over the next few months, especially the rest of 2017, you'll see a lot more decentralized applications going live on Ethereum. Um, like a lot more practical ones that people are actually using, um, like prediction markets and, and poker. Um, and there's probably others that I haven't heard of. And then, let's see anything else? I think we might see some first stable coins on Ethereum. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, coins. You know, anyone doesn't know, stable coin is, is a coin that's pegged to the, to some fiat currency, so the dollar or the euro or or the pound or whatever. Um, and those are important. Um, because, you know, the average person doesn't want to trade on Apple when it's denominated in Bitcoin or gold or, or Ether. Um, and so for, for practical applications, you need those sorts of things. Um, for things like poker, where it's very short term, betting in Ether, betting in Bitcoin is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the final thing we'll see is is more, you know, off-chain applications. Um, so we're doing some of this stuff with Augur with basically placing orders um, on the book and storing them off-chain and then you settle them on chain. And I think mm-hmm. with the, um, I'm trying to remember the name. Oh, this is another cool project, Raiden, um, which is like lightning yeah. works on Ethereum. State, yeah, state channels. State right. channels. Yeah, it's called state channels now. Um, New fancy uh, words. Yeah, <laughs> I remember when they were called payment channels. Um, so anyway, <laughs> anyway, though, so that, so that you know, should be, should be coming out sometime next year. And I think that'll be very cool as well to make things a lot cheaper um, computationally. Excellent, man. Well, thanks for flexing your mental prediction muscle for us you know that, that was very nice oh, oh yeah see, you, see what i did thank you thank you i was thinking on that one for like a good, good 10 minutes so i'm glad i brought that up <laughs> <laughs> so no but like, like thanks for thanks for taking the time to to talk to us today joey thanks for thanks for you know filling us in like on the current timeline for augur your vision on you know what you would want augur to do how we can benefit traders and, and and talking about first blood too that was like that was really cool like i didn't realize that you were that close to that project i didn't know and and so like i was actually like meaning to want to talk to them so it's nice that you were able to bring it up and maybe i can have those guys on the show going forward in the future at some time 
if you if you if you know them, send them my way. Yeah, I will. Awesome. All right. Well, cool. And um, you know, we'll we'll include all the links to all the awesome people that we talked about today in the show in the show notes. And you know, I hope everyone enjoyed today's episode talking about how we're going to be going forward in the future to predict it. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Block Channel, and see you guys next week.